Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Mosier. And we're here celebrating the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic. Read an amazing story last night that I just have to share. Do tell. Did you hear about the guy that died of the lung stuff, and they found out that he died because every night before he went to bed, he smelled his socks. It wasn't just like a whiff. Like he sat there and oh, inhaled like the smell smelled. of his socks. Like he he loved the smell wow. of his own brand. And I got to thinking, if anybody in the world would die from sock smelling, it's James Hatfield. <laughs> <laughs> I would see that guy taking a dig a big deep breath Ew. and then just going Rah! yeah 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 <laughs> at the end and. That is how we're transitioning into our episode for today. Wow, what a perfect intro to today's episode, which is Enter Sandman by Metallica, talking about James Hetfield snipping (laughs) his own socks socks. and giving himself, what, mesothelioma, I guess? I don't know. I don't know. Wow. Uh, If you're suffering from mesothelioma out there, we apologize. Yeah, sorry about that. Also, I just want to apologize to Mickey Dolans one more time. Yeah. Because we thought he was dead back in season one. Thanks for hanging around with us, Mickey. So, sorry. Uh, live, Live long and prosper, Mickey. Uh, and James Hetfield and it, sure. anybody with mesothelioma, let's just all live for a while. How let's, about that? let's hang out for, for a good bit. Listen, before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind you guys, first of all, thanks so much for listening. You're awesome. If you're listening on a, a like a platform like iTunes, Google Play, uh, be sure and tell somebody you love the show, you know, uh, tell somebody about it. Give us a review. Give us a rating, that kind of thing. And I want to before I forget, I want to make sure you know that we have merch. If you go to greatsongpodcast.com and click on the merch link. Uh, you can get hooked up with some great uh, stuff. We got hoodies and and sweatshirts and tees of different designs. We got you know funny funny bits from the show. We got a Jerry Rafferty shirt that is not really him. It's Neil Sean. We got to turn up the radio and sing along. I'm working on a JD slash JE slash JP Mosier design. Um, so we got a lot of cool stuff. We got stickers. People are big fans of the stickers. Uh, and uh, if you go find us on Facebook um, at the uh, group page called. Uh, great songs and the people who love them greatly. Great songs, great songs, and, and the great, great people, people who, who love them, them greatly. Great. Excuse me. Uh, we do stuff on there. You know, lots of fun conversations, giveaways, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so obligatory self promotion over. But if you want to support the show, go get some merch, and uh, that that's a good way to show everybody that you love the show, and at the same time, uh, be able to support uh, what we're doing here and help us to do it more. Anyway, who add over? That's done. I'll do it again later, but it's done for now. Let's get into today's episode. It, it's starting to smell like gym socks in my in my brain already. So uh, that means that means it's time for Enter Sandman.
yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mom. We can't wait to hear how many times Rob does James Hetfield today. I, I do James Hetfield on the regular. Just like everyday conversation, you'll hear me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. There is great video on this. We were talking beforehand about there is a wealth of documentary material on just this album um, that literally just in research, without even trying hard, I found three different documentaries just on this album. Um, and uh, there's some great stuff of of them in the studio with their producer, Bob Rock, who we'll talk about, uh, with James just trying to figure out things to say at the end of these lines, like literally being like, <laughs> yeah. And then he'll be like, all right, maybe, you know, a little higher. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, you know, try something. He's like, wow, wow. Like just all kinds of different stuff. You know, he literally, he's like, just, it's like the most random. It's great. I love it. That's my, one of my favorite things about J- James Hetfield. I get weirdly inspired by Metallica. I know that's not like the first thing you look at me is, Oh, this guy digs Metallica. Right. Uh, but I, for some reason, it's, it all started with VH1, and they're behind the music on Metallica, and I watched it. And they did the thing with the uh, when they came out with the Load album uh, in the mid, like, 96, 97. They did a thing on MTV, and it just was, like, all behind the scenes with them being super cool. And then I watched their behind the music, and I just, I don't know if something about Metallica inspires me. I don't exactly know what it is, but watching Metallica makes me want to play more music. And so That's for awesome. that reason, I always... I always you know, keep up. I've never actually bought a Metallica album. I don't think, uh, I've bought singles. I owned the single for nothing else matters. And I own the single for one, but I don't think I've ever bought a Metallica full length album. I've watched stuff. I've bought, I bought the movie through the never, I bought the, some kind of monster documentary, but anyway, they I, like, I like to watch them talk about music. He doesn't care so much about listening to their music no. as much as he just wants don't to really, hear. Don't really care for it. Their, their, uh, how much they like to talk about music. And for yeah. all you like diehard Metallica fans, we may not do it justice because there's so much. So full disclosure, we're not. You know, we love Meta- we like Metallica, but we we're not Metallica heads. Yes. you know. So you diehard Metallica people that are like, oh, we've been waiting for the Inner Sandman episode. Don't say I can't believe you left out. Insert whatever you exactly. Yeah, yeah. like there. exactly. There's like. For like hardcore Metallica fans, hardcore metalheads, you'll never be good enough in your coverage. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You'll never get it totally right. And, you know, and they'll always be like, oh, you left out the best part. Mm-hmm. Or like, you didn't get this. This was exactly, oh, Cliff Burton. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. whatever. So it's, you know, we're going to go ahead and apologize in advance for all the people that we're going to disappoint with this episode. But we're going to try to hit some of our favorite highlights. But man, this song is good. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Just sitting here listening to it. We were both subconsciously making like the mean face. faces. You, you, and you the know head what bump. face it is. Your yeah. your eyebrows curl, your nose flares. <laughs> like everybody does it yes. when they hear it. Absolutely. So if you, you don't, it. if you smile and clap, you're wrong. Yes. So this Inner Sandman is hard rock at its absolute finest. Like this is, it's hard rock for the masses that everybody can get. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you, this is. I don't even consider this like heavy metal. This is just hard, hard rock. It's very accessible. And we'll talk about it. Was, that was intentional yep. with this album. Um, we'll get into it. This is from 1991's self-titled Metallica album, a.k.a. The Black Album. Everybody just calls it The Black Album. It's really just called Metallica, uh, but it's known as The Black Album. Not to be confused with Spinal Tap. Smell the Glove. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. <laughs> Smell the Glove, a.k.a. The, the original Black Album. Correct. Uh, which literally had nothing on it. Didn't have like you can look very faintly and yep. see some stuff on this album cover. It's like a little there's a little snake, a little the... little snake, and a little Metallica in gray, like uh-huh. dark dark gray. Um, but uh, Spinal Taps, there was just nothing. It yeah. was just black. <laughs> None more black could it have been, is what they said. Um, this, great album, oh, great album, man, just a monster of an album. Yeah, career making album. Quick quick run down to the track listing: one, Inner Sandman, which we're talking about today; two, Sad but True. If you go to four, Unforgiven, another big one. Five, Wherever I May Roam, another big hit. Eight, Nothing Else Matters. I mean, just all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, just chock full. This is their, really, their career album. Uh, They said, uh, I can't remember who it was. One of them said in a documentary that this song in particular, like, this is the song that keeps their pool at like a balmy 88 degrees. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) this is the one that really took them over the top Mm -hmm. as a legendary band. This, this album and in particular this song cemented them forever as rock metal you know royalty 
Um, so this song, Inner Sandman, is number 408 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs list, sandwiched between number 409, Tonight's the Night by the Shirelles. I don't know if that's Shirelles or Shirelles. I don't know. And number 407, Sweet Home Alabama. Whoa. Edged out by one by oh Sweet goodness. Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. Uh, it is number 18 on VH1's Greatest Songs of the 90s. It was nominated for the 1992 Best Rock Song Grammy, and it lost to Sting, The Soul Cages. Oh, wow. Yeah. How about that? I didn't, I didn't even know that that song won a Grammy. Very cool song. Very cool album. Love mm-hmm. that album. Um, but uh, yeah, nominated for 1992 Best Rock Song Grammy. They have, Metallica has an interesting Grammy history. They've won several now, and it's basically like, Okay, best best you know best metal album goes to Metallica, whatever you know. And we talked about the Jethro Tull thing in the past. Yeah, but let's we'll mention it again because it's worth noting every time that the uh, the very first heavy metal Grammy uh, went to Jethro Tull, uh, whose main thing is like rock with a flute, uh, and and they beat Metallica's Injustice for All for the original uh, inaugural heavy metal Grammy. Maybe because there wasn't enough bass in Justice for All. Because there's no bass. <laughs> there is literally if you no. turn, Yeah. It's, it's a real problem. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the song. And, and kind of the song and the album kind of go hand in hand. They're, they're really like hand in glove. You know, you can't have one without the other. Um, but um, they uh, went for a different approach on this album in general. Up to then... Uh, Master of Puppets and uh, Ride the Lightning and uh, and um, uh, Kill 'Em All. They're, the stuff before this and Justice for All had been um, very kind of progressive metal, thrash like metal, sp- thrash metal, speed metal, as fast as you um, can play. They're one of the you know what they call the big five metal bands. It's them and Slayer and Megadeth um, and uh, a couple others that are escaping me at the moment. But they're like four or five bands that are like. The, the speed metal, thrash metal, you know, Mount Rushmore, and uh, Metallica's one of them. Um, and so that's what it was. It was, it was here's weird time signatures. A lot of double bass. Lots just. of double bass. So many different riffs in the same song, um, you know, and, and every song's like eight minutes, you know. Um, and, and it was just all, like, it's very smart, and it's also very edgy and hard. Um, but this album, they took kind of a different direction, of intentionally making their songs simpler, making their arrangements simpler. Um, I don't know that it was necessarily to reach a broader audience, but one of the effects was that they reached a much broader audience. Slowed down the beats per minute on everything. Yeah, too, just so. yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and a big part of that was their choice in producer, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, anyway, in doing research about this, I, I found this interesting that they're basically their writing template for a song was they they would have a, come up with a riff, which is not uncommon, right? You guitar players, rock and roll, you come up with a cool riff and you build a song around it. But then their next step would be a song title. So they would write a cool riff, and then they would go, "All right, this is called Enter Sandman." <laughs> and then they would write the melody and the lyrics last. So like. That's so backwards. Yeah. Like most of the time you write a song and you're like, what line do I want to call this? Do yeah. I call it the chorus? Do I call it the hook? Do I call it yeah. a random line that's thrown in there? That, right. Like yeah. what does this, you know, what does this feel like? Well, you know, what could this be about? And then you start maybe write a chorus or write a verse or, you know, a first line, something like that. But no, they're like, this song is called Sad But True. Dun, 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 Which is great. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That's Monster. maybe, yeah, that's up there. That might be my favorite Metallica. Just if you've never had a chance or never given yourself the opportunity to watch Metallica live, not necessarily in person, but just watch them perform live, the um, interplay, it's like, it's like there's very little space between the band and the audience as far as the atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? The audience is all in mm-hmm. every line, every, you know what I'm saying? But especially on a song like Sad But True, it's just, there's just something special going on at these Metallica shows with the audiences. Um, I don't know if it's just that the fans are so hardcore or I don't know, but it's, it's really unique. Like I said, for me, it's really inspiring for whatever reason. Um, but they, man, they hit these riffs and uh, Master of Puppets, all this stuff, the crowd's just bananas all the time. Um, I thought that was so weird that they're, <laughs> that they're like, oh yeah, this riff is called like literally ding 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 ding. That's called nothing else matters. Sure, <laughs> and then I'm going to write the rest of the yeah. song. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's really anyway. Um, the this riff, speaking of the riffs that started the song, is one of the all time great hard rock 
riffs, if not the best. There, there are some that are, if you look at like, you know, websites that all they do is list things, you know, they'll find, they'll list some that are better than this. They'll say maybe Paradise City. I mean, uh, uh, Sweet, Child Sweet Child of Mine is better or something like that. I don't know, man. I, it's tough to, it's tough to compete with this. It's tough. Yes, it's very tough. It's just instantly, even the, even the riff clean just evokes feelings. I, it's probably because you know what else is coming. And it's an E. Come on. Yeah, come on, man. It's an E. Um, now it's probably in D. Yeah. They're getting older. <laughs> so. Or they at least tune down their guitar half step. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's getting harder to keep up with these you know these higher songs. But um, I, for me, I don't know if there's a better hard rock riff. Than, and it's so simple. It's not hard. Like That's the difference between, between the Black Album and their previous stuff is that most of the riffs are a lot more simple. This riff on a previous album might have gone, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, with, you know, time changes and all this stuff in it. Um, but, and it's, the funny thing is it started off even simpler than it is. Did you see this? Uh-uh. The, the original riff that Kirk Hammett came up with for this was half the length of this. So it was, it was the, it was the riff. And then it was what they call like the tail. The dun, 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 dun. So it went, so it only played it once? Yeah, only played it once. And it was Lars's suggestion to play the main part of the riff three times and then put the tail on it. And that really, if if it had been the other way, it might have just been just another riff. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You would have played it 800 times in the song and got gotten bored of it. But there's this anticipation. The build. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's, it just drives forever, you know? Um, so good on you, Lars. Way to be on that one. Uh, you really, really made a good contribution on that. Especially coming from a drummer. That's a good little, uh, yeah. nice job. Sometimes us guitar players need some, uh, some coaching from our drummer. Exactly. We need some fencing in, you know, some, yeah, come some coaching. Yeah. Um, the song itself was originally written either about, or at least including references to, uh, SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome. Uh, and it was, um, you know, it had, it had lyrics basically about a, a child dying in the middle of the night, you know, and the Sandman was basically the, the one who did it, you know, but, but nobody knew because it was just, you know, SIDS, um, that's pretty grim, you know? And so they decided to maybe back off that a little bit and make it a little more vague and leave the listener to interpret kind of his or own creepiness, you know? And it's just the, um, the, the creepiness alone of the first line of the chorus it, it just all lands just right. The sleep with one eye open, that says it all, right? That's If you encapsulated the song in one line, it's sleep with one eye open. You know, you never know what might happen in the night. Your dreams are going to be weird. Your, you know, just general creepiness happens at night. There's this weird old guy in the video uh, who we'll talk about later because I, I got a bone to pick with the internet. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and tell you, listeners, just hang in because you're going to hear it from me about the old guy. Um so yeah, they 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 pulled off the lyrics a little bit to uh, you know to allow for more open interpretation, which is probably for the best. If this had just been a song about a kid dying in the middle of the night, and I'm not sure that would have been, you know, it's, it's not something you're going to want to be like. Let me sing about that, you know, <laughs> like let me listen to that song a lot. Um, it's dark enough as is. It's, yeah, it's exactly. It's plenty plenty dark as it is. Um, there is a little bit of controversy about this riff. Have you uh, did you see this? Roll it. Okay. Metallica has actually been accused of ripping off this riff. That, I heard, I that it's that it's not it. theirs to begin with. Uh, that they were accused of ripping off the main riff from a song called Tapping Into the Emotional Void by the band XL, which was released in 1989, two years before uh, Inner Sandman. Uh, I'm going to play it. You're going to play it? I'm going to play yeah, it. And, and let's you, you be the judge. You tell me. This is Tapping Into the Emotional Void by the band XL. Never heard that, whoa, whoa, whoa. and I was like, "There's no, uh, but whoa. man, I'm 
Oh, no. You be the judge oh. out there in podcast land. Yo. Goodness yeah, gracious. No. We, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think you can you can raise the question. So here's, okay, here's. So Mike, who wrote the, Kirk Hammett wrote the riff? Kirk Hammett wrote the riff. Or did Hetfield write yeah, the Yeah, Hammett okay. wrote the riff. He's credited okay. with the riff. So, He's so good, though, man. Yeah, I, here's, here's where I can see it happening. I can see that being sort of parallel thought in that that note that the weird note mm-hmm. in the riff bah, 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 is a very common thing to use in metal music, mm-hmm. right? That's the sharp four where you call the tritone, which is it, it splits the octave in half. And it used to like way back in the day, it used to actually be um, frowned upon to use that interval because it's off putting. It doesn't, it doesn't please the ear. Right. Um, and it used to be thought of as, even unholy, like way back in the day when all, you know, all major music was sacred, Mm -hmm. that, that interval was frowned upon because it was considered not holy. It was like the devil's interval. So a lot of metal acts adopted that sound and is, and and intentional. Yeah. That sharp four set against the one is, uh, is really intentional. So like if you're an E that's an A sharp or a B flat. Um, and so that gets used a lot in, in heavy music. Um, so in that regard, I can see those riffs both coming from two different places and ending up that close. That being said, man, it's so close. It's hard to not take that into uh, into thought that it could that it could have been ripped off. Um, but here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. The as far as I know now, as far as as late as the mid 2000s, the band Excel had not taken Metallica to court. And I would think. If they thought so, they yes, would have. Right. That's an easy way to capitalize. Yes. I don't even know. I've never even heard of Excel yeah, except for either. the Microsoft pro- program. Right. Exactly, yes. Uh, That's who they, they should sue. Maybe they quit music and, and they, started making they're spreadsheets. Doing, they're big in, pro- in word processors. <laughs> yeah. so, I, so, I would, yeah, I would think if there was a real – if they thought there was a legitimate – you know what I mean? Like, in other words, it's the difference between they literally ripped this off of us, they heard ours and stole it and made it theirs, and – Oh man, they wrote a riff that sounds like ours, and it makes me mad because they're mad popular. Yeah, they, they, you know what I mean. They made it, and I didn't. And mine's more complex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mine's got a little rake in it. <laughs> you know, whatever. But I would have thought, yeah, they would have taken him to court by now, and we would have heard about this long before you know today on the Great Song Podcast. You know what I'm saying? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be the ones breaking this news to people. So, um, yeah, uh, you would have seen Kirk, uh, Kurt Loader on uh, MTV in the mid '90s talking about this. Tabitha Soren would have broken this news. Uh, Matt Penfield. Look at that. Look at that. Wow. Rob digging deep in the uh, uh, bag uh, of goodness. There was the, who was the Jesse? You remember Jesse with the weird hair? And he's like, no, he was like, bro. He's like, anyway. Okay. Anyway, old MTV memories. Remember when they used to do, uh, what was it? Um, music? Put, like music on there? <laughs> music videos oh, on wow. music. <laughs> Jeez. That was, that was crazy times. I don't, it was like the wild west, man. <laughs> music on music television. Uh, anywho, gosh, I've never sounded older. Like, I've never sounded more like a dad, you know? I remember when they used to play music on music TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Oh, wow. <coughs> Ripping off Excel. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about the album. Uh, the Black Album, as it is called, is number 252 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list between Kraftwerk, uh, their album called Trans-Europe Express. It's just some German weirdness. Have you listened to it? I, I've never... Mm, I know I, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's all I know. I checked it out. I, I can't... Uh, I, it ain't my, ain't my jam. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Otis Redding's Dictionary of My Soul. Um, 252 for... for R- Real quick, did you, did you look up that album, the Otis Redding album? No. It's all covers. It's covers really? of like Beatles Day Tripper, Tennessee Waltz, and all that. Wow. So, yeah. And it's one of the... And it's one of the greatest, greatest albums. And he of gets all credit time. for doing a cover album, which wow. I thought that was of the Otis Redding stuff. That wouldn't be the one that I thought would have made the list. Right. That'd be if, like if Metallica's Garage Inc. was on that list. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we just like the way they did Turn the Page, you know? Or Diver like, Down makes yeah. the list. Yeah. It's like, right. that's the Van Halen uh, no, listen, one. Diver it. Down is my favorite Van Halen album. Which How dare doesn't, you? Doesn't How make, dare you? Doesn't even make my list. <gasps> it's not even in my. Anyway. How dare you? We'll save it for the, the Van Halen. Wow. Episodes. We're going to do Just for that, we're doing a listen through. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, but for, the, for a, an album of this kind to be that high on this list just shows you its importance in rock history. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think in, in compiling that list, that's one of the things that you have to take into account is how important is this album impact? Yeah. Yeah. It's impact. Exactly. 
Um, and this this album is really impact. This was the this is the album that made metal mainstream or at least mainstreamable. You know what I'm saying? Um, there was I, this could be me, okay? But like Metallica is more metal than Guns N' Roses. Yes, you know what I'm saying uh, like well, I would think well. Guns and Roses. Say that. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, if you Guns and Roses is is hard rock, but it's but it's that's what it is. It's hard rock, and it's it's on the pop end of that spectrum. You know what I'm saying? Like you you're talking about a band that wrote one. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like to to put this album made. If you go backwards in their catalog, that's freaking metal. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, now their stuff since has been quote-unquote softer, you know what I mean? Some of their hardcore fans, you know, they probably lost them at this album, or at least this was where they, this was the, this is where they got off with Metallica, mm-hmm. you know, after this. Um, you know, because the next album after this was Load, and they cut their hair, and they cut a lot of flack for some of the choices uh, that they've made after this. But before this, it's undeniable. This was metal. Mm-hmm. Metallica was as, as metal as it gets, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I think they are the most mainstream metal band by far. You know, Megadeth, Slayer, they're they're huge in their niche, um, but they're it's still underground to your standard Joe Blow. But your but your everyday Joe Blow has watched has you know heard Metallica. They like Metallica. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so I think this is the biggest, probably most important. Well, whatever a, a somebody at Rolling Stone would say, you know, the Sex Pistols is the most important metal album or something. Somehow I don't know they would argue it, but you know, uh, the Black Flag or somebody like that is you know, but if we're talking mainstream exposure to this kind of music, it's this album. Especially for people our age, for our genre. Oh, yeah. So like millennials and a little older to, you know, yeah, absolutely. This was the first, like, this was the first, like, this is the first metal, quote unquote, that would get played on, like, just a regular mainstream rock station. You know what I'm saying? Inner Sandman was all over the place. And just, it still gets oh, yeah, airplay it's now. Definitely, the, like, their most played album, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, Huge impact of this album, so absolutely deserving of that spot on the Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Albums list. This is described, and I think this is pretty well pretty well done. This album is described by Kirk Hammett, uh, who is uh, their lead guitar player, as Metallica's Dark Side of the Moon. Um, it is the right combination of songs and production, timing, and momentum to create an all-time classic. You know what I mean? This, this album good comparison. will be you know, on the Billboard Top 200 forever. You know what I mean? Basically, as long as they're keeping track of rock album sales, this this will be on that chart. Um, and so I think so. It was just the right um, coming together of everything for Metallica. It was their moment, just the right choices they made on this album for it to be, you know, just good, good job to Bob Rock. I know we talked Man. a little bit about him. Maybe let's do we want to put him in the meet the band section? Oh, sure. That's okay, let, let's play the jingle and then yeah. let's meet the band. Let's meet the band. beat the band of Metallica, yeah. um, but we're going to do it. <laughs> thanks, James. Hey, James, thanks for stopping by. You're going to be stopping by a lot today. Yeah. Um, we'll, we're going to start with the producer on this because Bob Rock, who we've mentioned a little bit earlier, this is the first album that he produced with Metallica. Um, he really didn't get along with the the guys and, and swore this was the last time he's going to work with them, but this album blew up, so he ended up doing uh, four more albums with them. Yeah. Nothing, out of, nothing anywhere as good as this one, but he did four more with them. Metallica fans even signed a petition asking Metallica and Bob Rock to never work again, and it uh, it really hurt his kids' feelings. Like it tore up his kids, like because there's petitions about your dad, you know, right, yeah. going around. That's that's never good. And I, he had a really good quote when he started um, with them. Um, after this, when he said, "Sometimes even with a great coach, the team keeps losing." So I thought that was pretty neat. Mm. I thought that was that was good. Um, he's, he said he, that about Metallica. Yeah, he's like sometimes after the first oh, album, after the, after, oh, after yeah. this one that okay. they did, because the others kind of kept. Load going. was huge. Like load was yep. big. It and wasn't. You can't follow this up. But load. But then was, it, they started going down. But then it was, and so that was his his take on that. Yeah, we huh. talked about some of the biggest changes that he provided. The the slower uh, beats per minute, much much more bass. Um, oh yeah, on this. So. Yeah, if you listen to Metallica's early stuff, like go back and listen to one. Like one is one of their signature songs. You literally just can't hear the bass guitar. 
It's and everything sounds bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not a good sounding no. record. Yeah, it, it's all everything sounds thin. The guitars sound like you know they were in a like a I don't know. It sounds like playing through a PV Rage. Yeah, through those like <laughs> one of those little miniature amps. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's just. Like it's cool as heck. The song itself is cool as heck, but the mix is awful. Yeah. The production yeah. is really bad. So good job, and, Bob. Yeah, before Bob Rock, they had been doing it themselves, and and you know, and they and they say this. This is not you know me speculating on this. But they were the first to say like it was James and it was Lars. They were in charge, and so the guitars and drums were getting heard. Mm-hmm. And you know, Newstead's over in the corner, like, hey guys, why am I here? You know. Um. So yeah, it, I want. I I have my own. My own, I, I said a minute ago that, that Kirk Hammett calls this Metallica's dark side of the moon. But in light of what you said about it being, they intentionally steered away from more progressive, longer, more complicated songs and went more short, sim- simpler songs, you know, slowed it down, made it a little bit more accessible, uh, maybe compromised a little bit with Bob Rock, you know what I'm saying? Let him, he had done, he had worked with Motley Crue. That was the one that particularly got them. Uh, so you can thank Motley Crue really for this album because that's the one that, Metallica heard and thought maybe we should call this Bob Rock dude, um, but uh, he'd worked with you know uh, other bands who were more on the more on the hard rock side of mm-hmm. of this you know what I mean a little bit more commercial than Metallica had been previously. Um, so, so I'm going to compare this instead of Dark Side of the Moon, which I think is apt, but I think a more apt comparison is uh, to to call this their Invisible Touch. That's Genesis. 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 Okay. Genesis. 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 Invisible Touch album. Uh, which we're going to talk about at some point. That we might be our next listen album through. listen to. Yeah. That's the one that we, we talked um, That was their entryway from like straight being a straight prog band into something that you wanted to hear on the radio uh, through this same sort of that's good. You know, same I sort like of that. Um, process. That's so a great comparison. That's what I'm going to call it. It's kind of a distilling of their essence that's into good. something that is more palatable to more people. I really like that. Hey, let's, uh, hey, you know what we just did? Yeah. We did a meet the band section and started with Bob Rock on Bob. Metallica. Let's play the jingle again and now actually meet the band. <laughs> All right, let's let's, that was kind of a disgrace band. to yeah. start with Metallica and be like, hey, we're going to talk about the producer, Bob Rock. <laughs> so let's play the jingle and let's meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all Okay, now we actually are going to yeah. meet the band of yeah. Metallica. Oh, yeah. We got your own little section in there, Bob Rock. Okay, on lead vocals and rhythm guitar, James Hetfield, the aforementioned. Yeah. And there he is. He Come on. ranked number eight in Joel McEver's book, The 100 Greatest Metal Guitarists of All Time. I think that's a pretty good... That's And then I started thinking back, metal guitar... And I was thinking, is that more impact? Because, yeah. you know, he does a few of the solos and a few of the riffs, but... Yeah, I don't, eight seems kind of high. For I me. think he wrote a lot of the riffs though. Like a lot of their main <laughs> riffs came from him. But yeah, that's I, number eight. eight is, that's yeah. pretty high. Uh, Ninety-two pyrotechnic accident. That's sec- right. Second and third degree burns. Yeah. So the thing that I think that makes him so metal is that he was back. If y'all haven't looked it up, look up him. You know, with his little pyrotechnic thing, you can see him catching on fire. Yeah. He uh, seventeen days later, he was back. Like wow, doing stuff with him, man. Yeah, so pretty metal. Voc- that is pretty metal. Take that Bono and your bike wreck. Right. <laughs> vocal coaching with a cassette tape, and he actually uses the same vocal warm up before any show or recording. He had this little vocal warm up. Listen, I want his vocal warm up. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. I want to be able to do that to my voice for that long uh-huh. and still be able to go. You sure. I yeah. mean, I really seriously send me that link. I, I want that. <laughs> big Oakland Raiders fan. Big San Francisco Giants baseball fan. Yeah, they're all like Bay Area sports teams. Big San Jose Sharks fan. Um, most notable hobby: beekeeping. What? James Hetfield, the beekeeper. Actually, yeah. you know what? I, I feel like maybe he probably just kind of likes to get stung. He thinks you know, so. like, he likes the pain. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Let me, like how many songs have come he out? He doesn't of even just, wear the protective no, hat or no, face no. thing. He's just got to buzz it around like, his beard. He's just going to go keep these bees That's right. and then come out with inspiration for he's, the next he's album. He's got like honey dripping from his chin. He's just like, <laughs> game on. He just sticks his hand <laughs> in it. Like, right. <laughs> um, gear. ESP and Gibson Explorers, Gibson and ESP Flying Vs, Amps, Mesa Boogie Tracks, Mesa Boogie. I don't know it's a boogie. Mesa Boogie. Oh, I'm having trouble talking today. <laughs> the Triaxis this X4. Here's my favorite. The only reason I really wanted to go down the gear path, obviously, because he's got his notable stuff. He is 
sponsored and still uses Ernie Ball Power Slinky strings. Heck yeah. What? Those are like $5.50 strings. Yeah. That I could never keep in tune. No, I can't. For some reason, Ernie Ball strings have never worked for me. I just, that's the funniest thing to me. So, well done on that. Whatever, man. Power Slinky, dude. That's, that's right. Power, Power. Slinky. Power Slinky it up, James. Um, on lead guitar, Kirk Hammett. Ranked number 11th on the Rolling Stones top 100 guitarist. Okay. That makes sense. Just uh, top, top 100 guitarists, period. Ever. Okay. Yeah, he's number 11. Mm. Um, in a band called Exodus prior to Metallica and was recruited to replace Dave Mustaine. I don't know if we'll get on the Dave Mustaine story. We might. Oh, yeah, later. it's interesting. Sure. sure. We'll, I mean, we'll we're never going to do a Megadeth that's song. That's true. So okay, we might as well talk point. about him now. We'll hit it on in here in a minute. Uh, went to high school with Les Claypool of Promise. Did you know that? No. They're still like really big buddies. Okay, I, that makes sense then because I knew that Les Claypool auditioned for them mm-hmm. when Cliff Burton died. Which we will tell that story okay, for sure. Okay, all right. I definitely want to tell that one. Yeah, so they're they're big buddies, Kirk Hammond and Les Claypool. It's interesting. They big were big. like, there's a great thing on, I'm pretty sure it's behind the music where they're talking about uh, Les Claypool actually makes it makes a like an interview. They interviewed him uh-huh. for it and uh and they were like, You're too good. Like he yeah. like he had his own thing, you know what I'm saying? He was too much his own thing to be part of Metallica. Why are they not in a band together though? Kirk Hammond and Les Claypool, that would be, <laughs> be weird. It'd just be too much. I mean, I guess Primus is plenty weird, yeah, but uh yeah, he was like, "Hey, you guys want to jam on some Isley Brothers tunes?" Or like, you know, like, just you're uh, no, it's yeah. not too good. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, he worked at Burger King before pursuing music. Didn't we Kirk all? Hammond, yeah, that's right. Studied under Joe Satriani while in Exodus. Yeah. So if you're you gonna can learn hear that occasionally in some of his playing, if yeah. you're if you're gonna learn, learn under that guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I guess we can go ahead and talk about the Cliff Burton uh, death thing. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Do Might it. be a good segue because uh, Kirk Hammett and Cliff. Burton um, were fi- Cliff Burton was the original bass player right. for Metallica. Um, and Actually, there was one before Cliff. Oh yeah, but he was the first after they were like. Uh, um, and I wish I, now I wish I had his name in front of me. I, I looked it up literally early today. And, and the Metallica fans out there exactly. are like, oh come on, this how do you is, not know it's Cletus Smith yes. or whatever his name? But like bass players for Metallica have kind of been like drummers for Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. I mean, without being, I mean, Cliff Burton died. You know what I'm saying? But like, it's sort of that. There's kind of a long list. There's like mm-hmm. five. Uh, Cliff, Cliff Burton and Kurt Hamm were fighting over sleeping arrangements on the tour bus. Um, so they each did a card draw, like to draw for whoever gets the best bed. It was yeah. Kurt Hammett's bed, but Cliff drew the ace of spades. So he got the back of the bus, which is the best, the best, uh, best bed, best yeah. bed on the bus. And they had an accident. He was thrown from the bus and killed. So that should have been yeah. Kurt Hammett. Yeah. So it's a crazy, sad story. Just rocked the band. I mean, they, yeah. they were just, yeah, I think they were out in Germany, mm-hmm. you know, just, and yeah. Um, hobbies for Kirk Hammett to get back on a, a lighter. So, yeah, seriously. Uh, horror memorabilia, maybe not so much lighter. Comic books <laughs> and surfing. Yeah, yeah, big surfer. He's a big surfer, and he collects yeah tons of like like classic horror. You know, he's like got all kinds of Frank. Even on his signature ESP guitar, it's got mm-hmm. like Frankenstein's monster on it yep. and the mummy or whatever. Plays a ESP Zorlac. That was his first like main guitar that he had. It's like a Jackson, but the headstock's reversed on yeah. it. Um. Also uses the, the Mesa Bookie. But why can't I keep saying Bookie? Mesa Bookie. Why do I keep saying that? Mesa Bookie. Uh, rack mount dual rectifier with Randall cabinets. And he also uses Ernie Ball Power Slinky Strings. Hey, man. Why not? Uh, on bass, Jason Newstead left Metallica for Ozzy Osbourne. And when they got Robert Trujillo. Robert Trujillo, man. Trujillo. Um, he joined Metallica in 2003 from Ozzy. So basically they just swapped bass players. Yeah. Is all they all they did. Yeah. Uh, in 2006, I like the story, he tore his anterior labrum shoulder muscle while trying to catch a falling amp, and it was the amp from Ooh. the Black Album. So he was trying to catch this amp. It was oh, falling. He's wow. like, no, and messed up his arm. So he couldn't play bass for over a year. So he took up his hobby, which is painting. Painting. Uh, he's also a big gear nut. On this album alone, he played 25 different basses. Which wow. you don't think of bass what? players being a gear like I don't think of many like why would you have a need for twenty five different basses yeah. on an album with you know twelve right on a metal albums. album on a metal album with twelve songs here's the the bass that he played the most so I started looking into this was a was a Music Man Stingray uh-huh. and that doesn't seem metal to me like, really n- not to me I don't I wouldn't picture a Stingray a Music Man Stingray my guess maybe because it's Ernie it's, Ball family and yeah. well yeah and it's got the like the humbucker pickups yeah like the real I, rugged looking I guess it is a little bit thicker but he played the Gibson Thunderbird bass too which Solid. that yeah that's a, yeah. Um, anyway, and he played that through the, the 74 Ampeg SVT head, um, through a Mesa Boogie cab. <laughs> Goodness gracious. There we go. Um, 
so yeah, that's his that's his gear on Jason Newstead. Um, on drums and fax machine, Lars Lars Ulrich. <laughs> Lars, remember you? Lars, that's right. He sent us that fax. That's a good fax job. That time yeah. that said good job, guys. Yeah. Um, at age sixteen, he was training to be a pro tennis player, and then he saw that's right. his dad was a pro tennis player, yeah. wasn't he? Right. Mm-hmm. And then he saw the band Y and T uh, yesterday and today concert, and that inspired him to be a, a musician. Um, remember his big Napster controversy? Oh yeah. yeah I mean, you almost can't talk about. Metallica without mentioning Napster in the in modern era Metallica. And this was another thing that just went to, they lost a lot of fans over this because they were on the corporation side of this. Mm-hmm. Like, and they were supposed to be for like, the establishment. Right? Or anti-establishment. Exactly. Yes, exactly. They ended up fighting for the establishment, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so a lot of people got irritated with them. I got to tell you, I think they were right though. They were right. It killed, it killed Napster and it mm-hmm. killed like the, you know, eventually what, what eventually they were the, they were the big voice that was needed to take down the era of just massive piracy mm-hmm. that everybody was downloading music for free, um, and uh, you know that's a that's a whole other conversation. But but they were basically the corporate voice yep. against you know. And so they're like, oh man, they're you know trying to keep people from getting music sellouts. You know, blah blah blah. Metallica has been accused of selling out since this album. Yeah, this is you know the- what I'm saying like so. But people are going to be mad about whatever they want to be mad about. Uh, I think I think they were right though. You know, people the people who are making the music deserve to get what they're supposed to get mm-hmm. out of it. You know what I'm saying? It, it's not like it's if people just randomly found a way to start stealing burgers from McDonald's or gasoline. Or, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, come on. You know, yeah, like, I'm the like same it would way. be cool for those people to be like, man, I got free gas, but it doesn't make it right. Yeah, you know. So I got free cable for a year. Did you? When I was in college. Is this your confession? This is it. You haven't and, done and, a confession in a long time. I know. Bing. I didn't one of them in a minute. But yeah, we moved into this uh, this place, and I guess the person before forgot to shut off the cable. And I don't know if they, if anybody was ever getting billed. We had free cable for a whole year. Yeah. And I think about that because that was about the time of Napster because I was <laughs> in college in the Napster years. Mm. Um, did you have? Did you ever? Did you ever get on that train of of downloading? Like, I I didn't because I wasn't that cool, but I had my friends would all my roommates did yeah. it and stuff. And one of my roommates, his he his a girl he was seeing at the time. This is where it gets really bad, and I'm like, man, this is why they had to get rid of it. She would sell CDs. She'd be like, send me a list yep. of pick your ten songs, and I'll make you a CD for ten bucks. Yeah, oh, and wow. I was like, oh, that's so cool. So I get to have my own little. Mi- and so looking back on it, <laughs> Lars is like, I can't believe we're even discussing this right now. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. So. True, man. Hashtag uh, Lars was right. Lars was you know? right. That's I mean, right. There's uh, a great song. There's a there's a there's a Weird Al Yankovic song called "Don't Download This Song," and it's like a um, it's like a We Are the World feel, right? It's yeah. Like, Don't download this song. And in one of the choruses, they say, "Even Lars Ulrich knows it's wrong." That's awesome. That's great. good. That's good. Hey, Weird Al. We haven't talked about him in a minute. Yeah, man. He, he's he's got to love sh- that guy. Got to creep in every bit. We'll get him on here one day. Yeah. Um, Lars, big buddies with Noel Gallagher. Fan of Oasis, oh, which weird. I did not see that coming. He's a big fan of Oasis, um, so you know it's neat that two big big members of this band are friends with big members of other bands. Is that weird? Why no, is that weird? Not weird. I mean, not. <laughs> weird. I don't know. I, just, I don't know. Uh, also, a fan of fine art um, gear that he uses: Tama, Zildjian cymbals, and Remo heads. Um, not on this album. You think we should talk about Dave Mustaine? You want to talk a little bit about it? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you just a, he, you know, he's he's an important factor of the Metallica story. He was you know. tell a little Dave Mustaine-ness. Okay, so he was p- originally part of the band before Kirk Hammett. He was their original lead guitar player. Undeniably, an amazing guitar Great player. Great musician. Like, just as far as shred, like he's speed metal. He is speed metal. Mm-hmm. Dave Mustaine is like you know truly, um, but uh, had some substance abuse problems when they were first getting ready to record. Like literally, they're getting ready to go into the studio to record "Kill 'Em All," their first album, and they're like, "We we can't we can't keep Dave." Like it was that bad that they're about to like, it, you know, every band thinks that their first album is going to be the thing that makes them big and breaks them. So they're it, in that moment, his substance abuse was bad enough that they went, "We got to let him go." Like that's pretty rough, you know. Um, so they end up they end up calling Kirk Hammett, and you know, the rest is metal history. But um, since then, like there's a long time uh, in the uh, some kind of monster documentary movie, uh, which you know, hate on the album if you want, but the documentary is amazing. It's mm-hmm. a very cool insight. 
and um, they they kind of get them back together, and they they literally like again, you know, the hardcore fans are like, what? Because they're talking to like therapists and stuff like this, and they literally have like a sit down with with Lars and uh, Dave Mustaine, you know, and they're like crying it out and bro hugging and stuff. You know what I mean? He's like, he's like, I just miss my little Danish friend. You know what I mean? It's like getting real. And, um, you know, so, but now that everybody's like kind of sober and, you know, whatever, they're having some real conversations, but it's, you know, Mustaine said he, he has always kind of, uh, felt like nothing he ever did, even though Megadeth is one of the biggest metal bands ever across the globe. You know, they constantly... Even in this conversation, we're yeah. like, you know, Metallica, Megadeth. Yeah, exactly. Like and they they still sell out every time they play, everywhere they go, all around the world. You know, Megadeth is huge. Um, but he still felt like he could never measure up. He he still always felt like the guy who got kicked out of Metallica and missed his opportunity to be part of this legendary, you know, band. And he said people would... Every time people see him on the street, they're not like, you know, like there's as many people who are like... Oh, Metallica, just to get in his feels, mm-hmm. as there are people who are like, yeah, Megadeth, you know what I mean? There are people who like, you know, just call him a piece of crap on the street because he because he blew it with Metallica. So he's really had some like stuff to deal with, uh, you know, that got caused by his getting kicked, kick, kick, getting cacked out of the bind, you know, he got <laughs> he got cocked out. And uh, so, yeah, man, David Stane, he like he missed it. Good on him for getting things turned around. And I'm, you know, glad he's doing well now. Has a really weird singing voice. I am not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not a, a Megadeth I'm guy a Megadeth at guy all. Either. Yeah, I'm uh, the same way. But uh, yeah, so he's he's a big part of the of the Metallica origin story, as it were. You know. So. Well, that's the band. Man, good band. I mean, really, it's weird. I don't. I don't really dig Kirk Hammett as a lead player. I like him. This the guitar solo on this album is kind of iconic. I don't love it. I don't like. The way he plays a lot of times, he does, he kind of like overbends notes and I don't just, he ends up kind of playing out of tune a lot. It's because he's playing the Ernie Ball's he power slicky <laughs> strings. I don't know. I just, I, it's fine. It's what it is. It's memorable. You know what I'm saying? Like his phrasing is memorable and his, his, but it's something about it just doesn't jive with me often. It's rare that I hear a Metallica solo that I just go, yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, mostly I just go, all right, that's cool. That was good. I don't like it. They're not super singable. Some of them are. Uh, well, some of them are some very of them are, singable. The, but. Well, the, but his, uh, this one is, and maybe sad, but true, yeah. but the rest of them are just, they all, but I like it. I mean, it's metal solos. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, this one is known, this solo is known for his use of a wah pedal, mm-hmm. which we've kind of touched on a little bit. A wah pedal is, uh, you hear it even at the beginning of the song. You want to play the solo? We haven't played uh, Sure. Oh yeah, yet. yeah. Let's do it. Let's yeah, take a listen. Absolutely. Okay, so, like it or not, there are parts of that solo that I really like. There are parts of that solo that I really hate. The last part, though, uh, apparently was influenced by Heart. Ah. Um, there's, a, there's a lick in Magic, Magic Man. Magic Man? Yeah, where, it's, um, where it, it does something kind of similar to that and inspired that last little bit of that thing. So, I thought that was cool. We were talking while we were listening. There's definitely a couple of Joe Satriani-influenced licks in there that you can hear. Um, but uh, there's a couple spots in there where I'm like, bro, you're playing in the wrong key. Like, just... <laughs> You know, like, what are you doing, man? Like, the rest of it's good. Just put, maybe fix that one spot and, you know, you'd be better. <laughs> Should have gone back and overdubbed it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I like it. Uh, but he, he's using a wah pedal throughout that. And he really just, he uses a, a lot of wah pedal in his solos. He feels like it just adds an attitude to his playing, which I certainly get. If you turn on a wah pedal, it just does something different to the way that you play um, most of the time. If you, you know, if you're running some distortion through a wah pedal, a wah pedal is a, is a uh, foot pedal that's on a hinge. And as you, uh, as you, as you move it up and down, it accentuates different frequencies, uh, in the, in the spectrum. So, you know, everything from, you know, hundred Hertz up to 20,000 Hertz or whatever the spectrum is of sound, it, it accentuates different frequencies. And when you move the pedal, that little thing that, that is, you know, the, 
the section that's getting uh, accentuated moves up and down the frequency spectrum. And so you end up getting this uh, high to low, high to low, high to low that you end up with that wow, 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 Did we do wow, best wow, wow. wall solos? We did one time. I think we've, we've talked, talk, I think, I think we've, we've mentioned it a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we did. But probably with the Clapton episode in, in oh, season yeah. one, I think we talked about him. Yeah, so, um, but that's kind of the, the inner workings of a wah pedal, and he uses them a lot. He really feels kind of a, I don't know if you can feel a kinship with an inanimate object, but, you know, he, <laughs> he really digs the wah pedal anyway. A um, couple more notes on production. Uh, we've talked a lot about Bob Rock. Um, I thought it was interesting. They initially just called him. They wanted him to mix the album. And um, they, you know, they thought, you know, we, our production's been good, but we, we've just missed it in the mix. You just know? get a few extra ears. Yeah. Um, and if that had been the case, I think this still would have been a totally different album. Um, they, because what he did was he said, I, I don't want to mix it. I want to do the whole thing. I want to do all of it. Um, and he brought them into a space where, what they had done before previously was uh, honestly a lot like what happens now um, in some cases with bands who are like on a budget or whatever. You record one part at a time and you would, you know, rinky dink and get get this part perfect. And then you would lay in the next part and you just stack stuff, you know, that way. So you would do your, you know, do your drums and, and get them perfect. Right. And then you would bring in your bass and you would bring in the bass and overdub the bass until it was perfect. And you bring the guitars and do it and punch in and do all this stuff until it's perfect. And you end up with stuff that is, uh, good, even great, but it's, it, it is missing some, the attitude. Feel. And that's what Bob mm-hmm. Rock said about them. He's like, he went to see them perform live and he said, you guys are not conveying that energy. You're, you know, you're rocking and you're, and you're metal, but you're not conveying who you really are. You know, when you play and you get that connection with the fans, that's not coming across on the record. Mm-hmm. And so what he wanted to do was get that energy in a studio recording. So he they, they tracked all their basic tracks together in the same room. They just, you know, big studio main room, um, you know, isolated the instruments to be able to get good, you know, good sounding recording. But he said they really did a lot of work up front on getting the right snare sound, all that stuff up front. Um, and by the way, they got the right snare sound. It's like a gunshot. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, the drums on this sound just beyond amazing. Um, but, uh, like, especially there's like just a snare drum solo on, what is it? Sad, but true. That just man, like seriously, like a gunshot. Some people probably hate it, but I think it's incredible. Um, I like the guitars on Sad But True. Too. Sad But True is good. Yeah, let's do. Let's start over. <laughs> let's, let's start. Okay, this is Sad But True by Metallica. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he he really brought them into a totally different process of recording and and tweaking the album. They came in with you know basic songs or song ideas, but it was much more collaborative uh, between the band members and with them and him and and the, and they let him as much as it was, and they did hate each other during the process and they thought we're never going to speak to each other again, you know? Um, but, but it came out as something great. They, they rubbed against each other in just the right way to refine these songs, to become something great and to produce a legendary all time album. And so in the end, they all said it's worth it. Let's try, let's do it again. So, um, it was pretty cool. You know, like Laura said before this, it was just basically about like, don't screw this up. That was their recording process was, just don't mess it up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Make it, make it right. And if it was right, then it went on, but it, it being right, there was another step to it in Bob Rock's eyes. He said it can be something more than just being right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, so that's, that's what they, that's what they got with him. And I, I, you know, it worked. I mean, it was metal history. Um, there's not much to this song riff wise. There's two riffs basically. And the chorus is just, essentially a play on the main riff in mm-hmm. a different key. They go from E to F sharp in the, in the uh, chorus and that's it. Like that's basically, there's the, and that's like, that's all there is simple. That's the whole approach with this song is it's the same riff over and over and over. And they just rock over it. You know what I'm saying? But it, gosh, it kills every single time. Um, okay. Let's talk about covers. And then I want to talk about the video for just a second. Okay. Um, but let's talk about covers. So who, who, who you got on covers for this? I, I ran a 
pretty decent list down. There's a um, lot. There's a ton. Uh, Lilac, they're like this family band that does it. Uh, probably the most popular, I think, would be Motorhead. Motorhead, yeah. But I don't. I can't stand his vocals. I, I just can't <laughs> can't get around it. Um, Zach Brown Band does it too. It's too really? fast. Yeah, but it's not Zach Brown on vocals. It's one of the okay. other musicians. Uh-huh. Um, Iron Horse, the bluegrass version. Listen, I I LOL'd. Okay. No joke. Take a quick gander of this. This is a. The others are, you know, pretty similar. Well, here, just listen to this. This right. this will make you LOL. Okay, here we go. This is a Inner Sandman featuring By Iron, Iron Horse. Horse. Say your prayers, little one. Whoa! It's the wow. exact opposite of Inner Sandman. <laughs> Wow. Sleep with one eye open. Jeez. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Wow. Okay, so here's the difference in that. I feel like. Uh, I feel like they really mean it. Yeah. When, when they're like, when they're gonna say your prayers, little one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Like, this is like a sweet, uh-huh. you know, like their version of Inner Sandman is like an actual lullaby. Yeah. They, they, is- they just want the best for their child. Mm-hmm. You know, James Hetfield wants your kids to be scared of the Sandman. Yep. They got a, they've got a Snoopy night light lit yeah. on and yeah. it's like caring about him. And James Hetfield's got like a snake night light <laughs> in green, like with the eyes glaring at the child. <laughs> exactly. Um, Pantera's got a cover. It's stupid. Rise to Remain has one. It's pretty close. Okay, here's my. Te- but I know you've got probably a cover or two to mention. I just got one that I need to hit. Okay, I have a. Th- Would anybody else like to hear Bob Seger do Inner Sandman? Since Metallica did turn the page, killed turn the page. Mm. Man, it's so good. Interesting. Yeah, that'd be all right. I think he could. I think he could pull it Man, off. Man, what a cool concept! You've really stumbled onto something here. An album of a, a various artists mm-hmm. type album of songs that have famously been covered by other famous artists, right? Okay, okay. so let's say let's say Joe Cocker covered, uh, uh, you know, with a little with help from my friends, friends by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then if there was an album in which, you know, Paul McCartney turned around and covered, uh, you know, When the Night Comes. Yeah, it's a uh, tribute. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like back, reverse back covers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back, back covers. Back at you. Uh, yeah, back at you. Back at you, the covers album. We got to get to work Dude, on this. St- copyright. Who, who, uh, I'm, I'm calling Phil Grandy tomorrow. <laughs> We're, we're calling it. Martin Page. That's right. We're calling uh, everybody that we've worked with. Billy Vera. Billy Vera. Yeah, absolutely. We're yeah, going to get them awesome. on this. We're going to make good. it happen. Uh, yeah, that's a, man, that's a mind-blowing idea. We have to come up with, okay, so here's what we need you to do, dear listener. Send us the list of yes. who you'd like to hear. Send us, find us, find us on, on, on Twitter at Great Song Pod. Join the Facebook community, Great Songs, and the great people who love them greatly. And let us know what's what famous covers you want to hear the artists do a reverse cover, a cover in response. Man, this could be amazing. Oh my gosh, that'd be phenomenal. Great call. Wow, let's quit. Um, <laughs> I got one more cover I want to talk about. This came out when I was uh, when I was a teenager, and uh, I bought this album. Um, Pat Boone did an <laughs> album of metal covers called No More Mr. Nice Guy, and he covered Alice Cooper and, uh, and Metallica and a bunch of other like heavy artists. Um, and so here is Pat Boone, the famed crooner, his version of Enter Sandman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I quite love your prayers, little one. Don't forget my son to include everyone. I tuck you in warm within, keep you free from sin till the sandman he comes. Anyway, you get the idea. It was kind of a big deal when it came out because he's he's got a he's got a big kind of fundamentalist Christian fan base among his popular. Have you like, ever he, seen he the was, cross and the switchblade, the original movie? Yeah. He's a, uh, he Which is, you probably have. Of course. Everybody has. has. Yeah. It's really good. It's yeah. him and Eric Estrada. Yeah. It's uh yeah, he's got all kinds of Christian backing. So he got some, he got some backlash for that album just because of the, you know, some of the, they were like, he's, Oh, he's supporting 
you know, agents of darkness with this, you know, whatever. So, but uh, yeah, he, so he lost some like endorsements and he has a thing that he does here in Chattanooga where I live, uh, like the Pat Boone celebrity golf classic or something, you know what I mean? That they would do every year. And he lost like some sponsors for it and all this stuff. Cause people were upset about that. He'd done a metal album. Wow. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was, hoot. <laughs> I mean, I bought, I went and bought a Pat Boone record. You know what I'm saying? I, I thought it was he great. doesn't own a Metallica album, but he owns a Pat Boone album. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. I've never bought a Metallica full album, but I've bought Pat Boone. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. That's that, that's the people that you have during your Metallica episode today, guys. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We're like we don't know the original bass player, <laughs> and we have a Pat Boone album. Let's talk about Inner Sandman. Yeah, exactly. We're like eight year old Boy Scouts doing an, doing a movie review of Rambo. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Um, okay, couple more things, and then we're gonna we're gonna shut this one down. But I, I want to talk a minute about the video. The video is classic. Like it's it's really simple. It's like the mm-hmm. song. It's very simple. Yep. It's just them and some black curtains and some strobe lights. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. that's what it boils down to. And James Hetfield's amazing Fu Manchu. That, mustache, yeah, that stash you know is. I mean? uh, I'm like I'm glad he doesn't do that anymore. It always looked weird, but it's 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 cool, rock, it's cool it's rockish it's, there. It's rock. I just it's I don't know. I feel like once he went full beard like he went later he went like full beard with no mustache and i think that's a much better i like that look actually both of us, hey, are, both of us sporting are sporting that same look beard with no stash weird we're sporting the the 45 year old james hetfield look I, I do that simply for the ability to eat chicken wings and still have facial hair you know i don't like getting chicken wings in my in my mustache yeah and i but i still like to have facial hair. i i, I let my mustache grow out for a couple of weeks like literally just in the last couple of weeks and it started to touch the 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 pink part of my upper lip, and I was like, I can't do this. I gotta get I gotta get rid of this. So, um, but anyway, I want to talk about the video because <clears throat> the old man in the video is creepy as heck, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they could not have made a better choice for a creepy Sandman character, and he's just super old and wrinkly, and he's got his face is contorted, and his body is all frail looking, and just and he's shirtless, which makes it worse, <laughs> just weird, or better, or better, yeah, better for their purposes. Uh, but the old man in the video is credited on IMDb and other places. Any any place that you see that I've seen, and I I, I looked into this for way too long. On okay? the old man. Yes, on the old man. Because um, he's credited on IMDb and other places as being actor R.G. Armstrong Jr., uh, best known to me as the guy who played Prune Face in the Dick Tracy movie. You remember oh, yeah. The, the Warren Beatty Dick Tracy movie? Yeah, man, okay. I love that movie. Okay, so the guy who played Prune Face is mm-hmm. R.G. Armstrong. Um and he now the character featuring Madonna in that yeah, that's movie. That's right. Yeah, featuring Madonna, Al Pacino, Al Pacino James Conn. So good. And, like, there were tons of people. I want to watch that. Yeah, that's it's a good so one. So good. I, I love that. Anyway, um, and the kid but, is the kid from Hook in that too. Is, he the kid? is it the same kid from I Hook? Think so, I don't know. know. Anyway, it's good. Yeah, um, but I learned a very important line from that kid actually uh, through the whole movie. He's going, "When do we eat?" And uh, <laughs> I, I blame him for my weight problem. Anyway, um, but it, anyway, so he's credited as being R.J. Armstrong. But I'm telling you, it's not him. It's not. Oh. It's not him. I looked for literal hours. It's not him. You can't convince me that it's him because he never looked as old as that guy. Never. <laughs> not even in the prune face makeup in Dick Tracy did he look as old as that guy. He was in Predator four years prior to this video coming out. Okay, okay. Four years. He was in Predator. Go watch Predator and tell me that's the same guy from the Metallica video. No way. A prize to the listener who finds conclusive evidence of who the old man in the video actually is. I'm done a prize digging. Of unspeakable a value. prize of unspeakable value. I'll send it to you myself. I'm done digging. If that guy is RG Armstrong, then I'll become a flat earth anti-vaxxer, whatever you want me to be, whatever, you know, whatever like anti-establishment thing you want me to become, I'll become. He'll it. bring back Napster. Yeah, I'll bring back Napster. That's right. You can have all the free music you want if that guy's R.G. Armstrong and you can prove it, okay? Or if you can tell me who he really is. I can't find it. It disturbs me really badly because uh, I feel like IMDb should be better than that. And it's not just IMDb. but Maybe ask Drew Ayers. Maybe he yeah, knows since that's he right. suggested this. Yes, Drew, come on, help me. Or maybe you know some like Metallica purists. Uh, Drew is a guy who has been in our Facebook group and uh, suggested this song for us, wanted to hear some Metallica. So, uh, Drew, this is for you and, and for some of the others of you out there who are listening uh, who, who wanted to hear some Metallica. So thanks so much. Uh, we, we got to it eventually. And uh, if you want to hear something else, man, just Yeah, just and we are getting know, around you know? to your request. We promise. This is, this is proof that we're getting to your request. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have one other note, and this is it, and this Roll is because it. we'll never get to mention this otherwise. Okay. Uh, there's a band called Beatallica. Have you seen this? Uh-uh. Okay. There's, it, 
B E A T Alica. Okay, okay, so like beat. Beat, yeah. Beat Beat Alica is uh, they're a Milwaukee, Wisconsin group that blends Metallica with the Beatles, taking parts of Metallica songs and parts of Beatles songs, and they mash them up together and create something unique. Uh, they drew attention on the internet and had to deal with some legal issues, but in 2007, they released a fully authorized album called Sergeant Hetfield's Motor Breath Pub Band. What a great name. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, great. Uh, and they, the names of the group members are James, J-A-Y-M-Z, James Linfield, uh, <laughs> Lennon Hetfield, Lin. and then Gerg Hammettson. So it's it's G R G. So it could be it could be George, George or it could be Greg. I, I don't, there's not a Greg, George. I guess, but it's George Hammettson, uh, Cliff McBurtney on bass, <laughs> uh, and Ringo Lars That's on good. drums. So um, yeah. Anyway, Beatallica. How about that? Um, you want to send them out with some Beatallica? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. We'll find something to send them out with. Uh, anyway, maybe some more of that Pat Boone. I was kind of feeling it. No, yeah. let's go. Let's go with some. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the. Uh, Whoa, come on, intercept me, I don't know what that is. I don't know who to thank you for stopping by. <laughs> Thanks, that guy. Thanks for going away. Thanks, R. G. Armstrong, is. for stopping by. <laughs> Anyway, we hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks Join for rocking us. with us. Thanks yeah. for rocking with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Uh, go see us at greatsongpodcast.com. Make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening on. Uh, go check out some merch at greatsongpodcast.com. Facebook group, Great Songs, and the great people who love them greatly. Um, and let us know. I, I seriously want to know whose who's reverse cover you want to hear. Because uh, I think this could be a really fun conversation. So go hit us up on the Facebook group and uh, and let's let's talk about it. Uh, until next time, I'm Rob. And I'm JP. Go listen to some music. 